You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. All right, today's going to look a little different, okay? Today's going to be more of a Bible study. I'm going to warn you right now, you're going to have to talk to people, all right? Okay. All right, here we go. Uh, I told you I wanted to have some fun with footnotes. Who was here when I said, I want to have fun with footnotes? You guys remember this? We're going to have some fun with footnotes. Um, and what we're going to do today is a Bible study. And right now I'm looking around and everybody's rolling their eyes like, Bible study? This is ridiculous. And you know how I tell people all the time, I say, hey, listen, the Bible is actually good and exciting and fun and it has great meaning. Um, and it's not this boring, antiquated, ridiculous thing, right? You know how I say that sometimes? Yeah, I say that sometimes, okay? And so we're going to try to reclaim a little bit of that. And that's what we're going to try to do throughout this Misused Scripture series. We're going to try to reclaim some of what uh, I think uh, God intended for this Scripture. And today we're going to start by um, what I'm calling fun with footnotes. We're going to take a look at our footnotes. So before we even start, I need you guys to get out Bibles or Bible apps, one or the other. If you're new here and you don't believe in the Bible, that's fine. You can take a look at it. It's a library filled with a bunch of stories. um, And you can still use it. It's still good. All right. And while we do that, I'm going to set something up for you. Uh, Let's just say, and this is not true in any way, and it's not even, I don't think, going to be true. Uh, Let's just say that my wife and I had a baby, okay? And you came up to me and you said to me, uh, wow, Jonathan, your wife had a baby. That's amazing. And I said, it is. And, And you said, well, tell me about the baby. And I said, well, it's a little girl. She's seven pounds. She's eight ounces. She's 20 inches. You would go, that's great. That's incredible. Tell me about her. What's she like? And I would go, well... She's a girl, she's seven pounds and eight ounces, and she's 20 inches. And you would go, I get it, all right, what's what's she like? What's she like? And I would say, I told you she's a girl, she's seven pounds, and I just kept going like that, right? I'm telling you the truth, right? I'm telling you what she's like. I'm telling you uh, who this, this daughter of mine now is, but I'm only giving you half of a truth, right? I'm giving you a literal truth, okay? So uh, literal truth is a good thing. Way back in the day, there was a bunch of numbers and symbols that created formulas and facts and logic. And those numbers and symbols that created formulas and facts and logic advanced humanity in ways that we couldn't even imagine. All right, We have languages. We have writing. We have feats of engineering. When you look at the New York City skyscraper, that comes from these literal truths, these facts and these uh, uh, formulas and this logic and these symbols. It comes from that, right? We have machines that can fly us around the world. That's incredible. That comes from literal truths. That comes from these facts and figures and formulas and logic, okay? Now, that takes us so far. That takes humanity so far. At some point... What we have to do is at some point, we have to think about this other kind of truth that is out there. Because eventually, if I have this kid, I can't tell you over and over again that this kid is, you know, 7 pounds, 8 ounces, 20 inches long. Eventually, there's another truth I could tell you, right? And the truth I could tell you this time is that my child sleeps through the night. Or my child is a happy baby. Or my child cries too much or whatever it might be. And there's truth to that as well. You'd be like, oh, that's what she's like. Oh, that's who she is. Right? That's what you would say. Um... How many people have ever said, I have the weight of the world on on my shoulders? How many people have said that? Who said that? Yeah, you don't have the weight of the world on your shoulders, you liar. (laughs) Or we could say, man, there's probably something going on in your life. 
and um, it probably feels really heavy. And so there's truth to the fact that you feel like you have the weight of the world on your shoulders. Do you, you see the difference between literal truths with facts and figures and numbers and, and formulas and this other kind of truth, this truth that comes out of uh, this gray area, this area that's not black and white, right? There's two kinds of truth here. So one kind of truth can fly me from, uh, you know, New York to Tokyo, but, another kind of tr- but that kind of truth, that literal truth, can't tell me how that little kid on the plane feels flying for the first time. But that's a truth too, right? Or when we're stuck on the BQE moving an inch an hour and we look up and we see the skyscrapers, right? We see them and we know they're, they're amazing literal truths that happen from facts and figures and formulas and all the rest. But I still am in awe every time I see that stuff. Every time. Anybody else ever still in awe when they see that? And there's a truth that happens there too, right? So here's the issue though. When it comes to our Bible, for about 200 years or so, people have taken our Bible and they have said our Bible is a literal truth. It's a literal truth just like facts and figures and numbers and everything else. And what's on this page is exactly the way it looks and exactly the way it has to be and it keeps us safe and this is it and it's right here. But we're missing half the truth when we do that. There's a bunch of issues that happens when that's the way we look at our Bible. I'll bring up one right now. There's contradiction after contradiction in our scriptures, okay? In Matthew, it says that Judas kissed Jesus on the cheek, and the soldiers came and arrested Jesus. But in John, it says that Judas held back with the soldiers, and Jesus said his name, and the soldiers and Judas, Judas fell to the ground. So which one is it? Or is there a deeper truth there? Is there a deeper truth than just the literal truth, the formula, the facts, the numbers, the figures, and everything else? Is there? I would say that we've done ourselves a disservice over the past couple hundred years. I would say that we're missing out on some of the wonderful, rich context that the Bible has to offer by looking at just one half of Scripture. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this other half of Scripture, and here's what I'm going to tell you to do. Uh, If you are a leader in this church, you've heard me say this before. I'm going to ask us to read Scripture not with unquestioning obedience based on what we see sitting there on a page. I'm going to ask us to read Scripture with something I like to call prayerful or faithful questioning. Now that sounds a little scary. It's not as scary as it sounds. What we're trying to do is we're trying to figure out context. We're trying to figure out what God wants from us through this Scripture. Okay, so there's a few ground rules. Number one, we're not going to get it all figured out today. All right? I promise you'll leave with more questions than answers. Got it? All right. Number two, this is a church that believes in Jesus Christ and the death and resurrection. We believe in the grace in Jesus Christ. Okay? So some people might disagree with that. That's okay. Unity, not uniformity. But that's where we're coming from. We're coming from that place. Number three, I believe that Scripture is the inspired Word of God, which is very different than the literal Word of God. I believe that this is a library that God has given us so that we could see how humanity relates to God and how God relates to humanity. And then last but not least, like I said earlier, you're allowed to disagree. It's okay. We are a church that comes together in unity, not in uniformity. We got it? Ground rules? All set? Good. Let's take a little journey. Let's do it. Everybody ready? You guys are a lively bunch. (laughs) All right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at that Matthew passage we just read earlier. So if you have it with you, good. If not, it's going to be on the screen. I'm going to read it. And it says, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, I highlighted a footnote here. Okay, and I've done the, the, the hard work of, looking, of where that, uh, looking at the bottom of the page in your Bible to where that footnote wants you to go. And what that footnote wants you to do is it wants you to go to Exodus, 21 and tw- uh, Exodus chapter 21, verse 24. And when we go there, we start to get a little bit of this other truth. It's not just a little truth. Now we get to see where the context behind this. 
Exodus 21-24 says this. It says, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, foot for a foot. Okay, we're getting somewhere, right? We're getting somewhere with this. But I think Jesus is talking about the context from Exodus 21-24. So let's read the context. I'm going to read it for you. You ready? I'm going to read Exodus 21-28. And this is what it says. If people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman, and she gives birth prematurely, but there's no serious injury... The offender must be fined whatever, woman's husband, whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there's, seriously, if there's serious injury, you are to take the life for a life, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, foot for a foot, burn for a burn, wound for a wound, bruise for a bruise. An owner who hits a male or female slave in the eye and destroys it must let the slave go free or compensate for the eye. And an owner who knocks out the tooth of the male or female slave must let the slave go free. And then it talks about how if a bull gores people to death, what you should do in that situation. All right? This is the context in which Jesus is speaking. I want you to turn to the people that are around you. Tell me the difference between the context that Jesus is using in Exodus and the context that Jesus is using in Matthew when he says, You have heard it said, an eye for an eye, but I tell you this. What are the differences there? What are they? Turn, go, talk. You can keep talking, but as you talk, what context might, what might Jesus be telling people? What might be going on here? All right, come back, come back over here. I know you might not be finished, but come back. Let's come back. Who wants to be brave enough to talk to our whole church or the whole first service anyway and talk about the differences or what they think, what they observed? Anybody want to be brave enough to do it? <laughs> I can tell you what I observed. All right, Travis, go ahead. So, yeah, thank you for playing right into my message. Perfect. So this, this is what's happening. So what we see, and what the amazing thing is in Exodus, it's like, okay, this is how you're going to retaliate towards the person who offends you or the person who hurts you, right? And what Jesus says is that person who hurts you, that person who offends you, that person who's your enemy, what do you do with that person? Do you retaliate? You've heard it said this, but I tell you to do what to your enemy? Love. 
To the person who hurts your wife when she's pregnant and you have this baby, I'm telling you to love your enemy. To the person who knocks out your slave's tooth, I'm telling you to love your enemy. To the person who, you know, lets the bowl loose, I'm telling you to love your enemy. Now, do we see how people might want to kill Jesus? Because here you are, and you are a teacher of the law, and the law is a really, really good thing. And this law says, uh, this is exactly what happens. And if you do these things, God is happy. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes around. And not only does Jesus, like, um, like fulfill something, he flips it. He flips it. He says, you are actually going to love the person who does this stuff to you. People would be like, are you kidding me? Where's my, where's my retribution? Where's my revenge? Where's the retaliation? You see, if we're reading this with unquestioning obedience, we're like, oh, okay, here's some laws on a page. I don't know how this works. When we start to read it with faithful questioning, we start to see that Jesus is flipping the context of Scripture. Jesus is changing Scripture. Jesus is being heretical here when it comes to Scripture. Okay? What is Jesus trying to show us? Here's what I believe Jesus is trying to show us. Ready? The flourishing of human beings comes first and foremost before any defending of the text. The flourishing of human beings comes first and foremost before any defending of the text. And if you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus defends the flourishing of human beings every single time before he defends the text. Every single time. So let me ask you a question. In Scripture, as we look at Scripture, are there places where Big C, Christian Church, defends the text over defends the flourishing of human beings? Is that happening? That's just the question I'm going to leave you with. I'm not going to answer it. Want to keep going? All right, let's keep going. How about Paul? You guys want to do a little Paul? Let's do some Paul. All right, let's go to Romans. Okay, Paul is one of these teachers of the law, okay? He's a teacher of the law, and, um, and so he would be one of the people who was, wanted to kill Jesus, be angry with Jesus. Uh, he was one of the people who knew all these laws, like what to do if a, a slave's tooth gets knocked out or if a bull gores you to death or whatever. Paul knew all that stuff backward and forward. In fact, he knew in keeping with that law, God would be happy. Paul killed Christian people who didn't agree with him, and then Paul is converted to Christianity. And as he's converted to Christianity... Uh, he starts this church in Rome, and this church in Rome are a bunch of ex-Jewish people, okay? So they're people who now follow Christ, and all of a sudden, these Gentiles want to come to their church, okay? Now, the Gentiles are non-Jews. Now, in the scriptures, it tells you that non-Jews are not allowed to worship with you, and so they have a legitimate question towards Paul. They say, Paul, you know, in our, in our scriptures, in our Old Testament, remember, there was no New Testament at the time. They say in our, in, our old, in our Old Testament scriptures, it says that we can't worship with non-Jews. We can't worship with Gentiles. What do you say about this now that we're Christ followers, Paul? And this is what Paul says. He says, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praises of your name. Footnote. Fun with footnotes, people. Again, it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the people extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. And may the God of hope fill you with all the joy of peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of footnotes here. I picked out two of them. All right? Lots of footnotes. But when we go to the footnotes, here's what we find out. What is Paul talking about? Well, we know from the first footnote that I highlighted, Paul is talking about 
uh, a, a passage in the Psalms. You want to hear the passage in the Psalms? Want to do it? They cried for help, but no one was there to save them. To the Lord, but he did not answer. I beat them as, a fine, as fine as a windblown dust. I trampled them like mud in the streets. You have delivered me from the attacks of the people. You have made me the head of nations. People I did not know now serve me. Foreigners cower before me. As soon as they hear of me, they obey me. They lose all heart. They come trembling from their strongholds. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be my God and Savior. He is the God who avenges, who subdues nations, who saves me from enemies. You exalted me above my foes. From a violent man, you rescue me. Therefore, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. Wow. Okay. There's something that Paul says in Romans and then something that we read in the Psalms. Talk amongst yourselves. How is it different? Go ahead. (sighs) Make me go back and look it up. Yeah, it is, yeah. Okay, I'll make this a little bit easier. Let's just talk about the tone, okay? What is the tone of Scripture that we see when Paul's speaking to the Romans? What is the tone of the Scripture we see in the Psalms when this poet wrote these Psalms? how, how How does the tone differ? Anybody? Who wants to say it out loud? Anybody? One is angry. This is good. Now here's the thing. They're both speaking about the Gentiles. Both passages are speaking about the Gentiles. One says the Gentiles are our enemies. We're going to grind them into dust. We're going to make them cower before us. The other one says, welcome the Gentiles in Christ. As Christ has welcomed you. Praise be to God. Heretical. Paul is twisting scripture. He's turning it. He's messing with it. He's saying that this scripture that you read as you have enemies and you are going to beat them into a fine dust and the Lord avenges, now that means to love the Gentiles. That's what it actually means. What do we see from Paul? Oh, by the way, I want to read Deuteronomy because he also quotes Deuteronomy. And this is what he says uh, when he says, Rejoice, you nations, with his people. This is what Deuteronomy says. Rejoice, you nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. He will take vengeance on his enemies. It will make atonement for his land and his people. Doesn't get much uh, clearer than that, does it? When we're reading scripture with unquestioning obedience, we see an angry God. We see a God who is wrathful and filled with vengeance on enemies. When we read with faithful questioning the way that Jesus and Paul read the scripture, we see that this new covenant in Jesus is turning us from wrath towards love. And what we see again with Paul is the same thing we saw with Jesus. Paul will defend the flourishing of people. He will always look at the flourishing of people before Paul will ever defend the text. In fact, Paul changes the text to the point where he's willing to see people flourish. Wow. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. This is what Derek Flood says. He says this. Yeah, he wrote a book called Disarming Scripture. He says, For Jesus, the correct interpretation of Scripture always comes down to how we love. The Bible is never intended to be defended. The Bible is never intended to be a burden. The Bible is a servant to Jesus. It's a helper of the Holy Spirit. 
How many people in this room are scared to look at Scripture this way? Anybody? It's scary to look at Scripture this way. We've been told, I've been told, I'll speak for me. I've been told the longest time that what is on the page is safe. And the safety that's on the page is the thing I need to follow, the stuff I need to follow, and God never changes. God's the same today uh, as, he, as he was yesterday and as he will be. That's what I've been told, right? And yet, when I dive into Scripture and I start looking at footnotes, all of a sudden I see that's not true. I see things are changing. I see that, that Jesus is, is changing the way we read the Old Testament. I see that Paul's changing that. Now, we might be sitting here going, well, isn't it all done? Hasn't it all been accomplished? If Jesus died and it's all been accomplished, well, do we have to change the New Testament Scriptures? Is that happening? Should we do that, or is it set in stone? Is, are the New Testament scriptures the one we have to pay attention to? That's a good question. Not a bad question. Um, I'm thinking about 1 Peter 2.18, where it says, Slaves, obey your masters, even to the point of being beaten or deaf. And uh, if that's the case, then Harriet Tubman probably wasn't following scripture very well, was she? Maybe Harriet Tubman wasn't defending the text, but maybe she was promoting the flourishing of people just like Paul, just like Jesus. I think about that in terms of MLK or any other civil right movement. I think about any time we try to desegregate. Really, Scripture is all about segregation. You can find it in Ephesians. You can find it in Galatians. You can find it in Corinthians. And yet those people weren't obeying Scripture. What they were doing was they were putting the flourishing of humanity before the text. And the world is better because of it. What about in Corinthians where it says, For women, women, you should stay silent. Not only should you stay silent, but don't braid your hair. Anybody here braid a hair? Good. <laughs> I know. Some t- yes. <laughs> um, and yet Elizabeth Cady Stanton comes along, and she is one of the many women's voices who say, not only do we have the right to vote, we have a right to have a voice in this country, and we're still doing that to this day. Is she wrong? Or is she defending the flourishing of human beings over defending the text? What are we afraid of? I'm afraid because I'm like, why would God use me? I am shoddy at best. On my best days, I'm a C plus. That's how I feel. God wouldn't use me. And yet God says in John 14, 12 to his disciples, anybody who asks in the name of the Spirit to do these things will do even greater things than I have done. Even greater things than I have done. And the disciples are like, you know, fishermen. They're like jihadists, tax collectors. They're a mess. And, he, and Jesus says, hey, just call on the Holy Spirit. You're going to do greater things than even me. You're going to see humanity flourish before you're going to defend the text that you have. This is a new way of looking at Scripture. This is why I say Scripture is exciting. This is why I say footnotes are fun. Because all of a sudden, you turn from just a bunch of laws and a bunch of what does this mean to, wow, things are getting turned on their head. The world's getting flipped upside down. God wants peace in this kingdom. God wants love in this kingdom. And I'm a part of it. Oh, my gosh. It's good news. It's really good news. Oh, it's still scary news for a lot of people. One last thing I want to say about this today. There are some people in this room who are going to say, perfect. Thank you, Jonathan. There are parts of Scripture I absolutely hate, and they suck, and I just want to tear them out. Now you've given me permission to do that. No. No, no. Because when you read Scripture with unquestioning obedience, there it is. It's on the page. You're safe. This takes away that. And now every time we look at Scripture, we can't go, "Ah, I don't agree with that. Rip. We can't do that. Now it means whenever we look at Scripture, we take it seriously. We're praying over it. We're asking the Spirit to be in it. We're asking the Spirit to be part of it. We're asking the question, is this bringing about human flourishing? 
And human flourishing looks a whole lot like selfless love. It looks like the MLKs, the Elizabeth Cady Stans, the Harriet Tubmans, the Nelson Mandels. It looks like that. It doesn't look selfish. You're not going, woo, if I just tear this page out, that benefits me. That doesn't work. I would dare say to read Scripture with a, questioning, uh, with a faithful questioning means that we have to take Scripture more seriously than we ever have before. And so here's the deal. This summer, as you're reading your Bible, all right, and as you're sitting there going, what does this mean? What does this look like? Start by looking at your footnotes. Start there. Go take a little journey, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to say, how is this text, how is God working through this library of books and letters and poems and everything else to promote the flourishing of human beings and the peace and the grace and the love of Jesus Christ? Can you do that? All right, we're done. Let's pray. <sighs> Heavenly Father, thank you, for, um, thank you for this literary collection that you've given us. Thank you that you've given us this beautiful, um, this beautiful work of humanity and how it relates to you and how you relate and love your humanity. Uh, we thank you for the never-ending love, the never-ending promotion of, of flourishing for all of us, even those of us who feel like we don't deserve it. Thank you for saying, no, you're a part of this. And Lord, when we forget, when we get selfish, bring us back to the cross, Lord. Bring us back to the selfless act of your Son and the grace that comes with it. We pray this in your name. Amen.